0: what is going on we are here for the nfl awesome o strategy show on friday afternoon a casual beat with a nice little roll i really liked it producer mike i dig it i dig it i am here as i am every friday afternoon as we at least for the end of the season here with my co-host matt gajewski follow him on twitter matt underscore Gajeski. how are you matt i'm doing great man excited for
1: these games. We had some competitive ones, some non-competitive ones last week, but the way this spread set up, I think we should get some pretty good football here this weekend.
0: Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I think that these, uh, these playoff newcomers, Cincinnati Bengals, could make some noise here against the Tennessee Titans team who really haven't actually put it all together with the lineup that they thought they were going to have all season. So I'm really excited there. And of course, that Saturday night game, we're going to be digging into with the 49ers and the Green Bay Packers, two of the NFL's most storied franchises and who have some recent bad blood in uh, some some recent playoff games. Uh, I know Aaron Rodgers wants to win that one really really bad uh go ahead and like this video guys subscribe to the channel you guys know what to do we're in the divisional round of the nfl playoffs if you don't know what to do with our youtube videos at this point i don't know i don't know for you guys but uh but yeah thrilled to be here we're going to be talking about the saturday slate the two-game saturday slate specifically here and uh oh i forgot you can follow me on twitter at draftaholic as well Uh, we'd also like to thank our presenting sponsor jock market we'll get into them but first i want to talk about this this two game slate from a bird's eye view what are you thinking about these two game environments is there one game that you're going to be targeting players from or is there one game where you're going to be taking running backs and then ignoring the passing attacks or vice versa what are you really thinking with this two gamer
1: as far as the full context of the four games we have These two leave a little bit to be desired, but still not that much. They're both 47-point totals. They're tied for the lowest on the board, but again, L.A. and Tampa Bay, that's just at 48. The real impressive game from a total perspective is Buffalo-Kansas City at 54. But if you're playing the four-game slate, these are the two early games. They do have the lowest totals on the board, so that is worth noting. You do have a team in Green Bay as a heavy favorite who's still tied for the second highest implied team total on the board tied with Buffalo, which is just narrowly behind Kansas City. So the Packers stand out to me if you're playing the four game slate, but overall, I could see any of these games going over the total and we have a lot of premier quarterback plays. So all the stacking options in skill position players are still pretty enticing despite the totals being a little bit lower.
0: Yeah, so game total's a little bit lower. Packers implied total, glad you brought that up. That was in my notes as well to make sure that you understand that their offensive ceiling in terms of the Green Bay Packers is as high as any implied ceiling on this slate here. That's definitely worth mentioning despite these game environments looking less enticing. Now, let me ask you this. This might be a little extreme, but would you go so far as uh, playing a four-game slate uh, this Saturday-Sunday slate, like on draft games where they have some huge prizes? That is, their, essentially their main slate this week. And then just kind of fading these two games or maybe playing one or two players from that, from these two games. I definitely think
1: you can do that. There's pros and cons to both. I think the pros are you get a lot of late swap equity. So you're just gaining more information. What happens with Cincinnati, Green Bay, San Francisco, and and Tennessee. But at the same time, people that take that approach could be foregoing some of the best plays on the slates. I do think sometimes it's overstated the equity late swap gives you. With Derrick Henry putting up 40 points, potentially you're probably not live to win if you save and try to late, late swap equity out of him. So you're always trying to walk that balance where, okay, I do get more information, but if somebody puts up a monstrous score, I'm not live to win anyway.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, so, we got to get into those players, which ones are kind of live to get those monster scores. I did mention that you, I would love if you guys could give us a like and subscribe. That really, really helps us boost up in your YouTube algorithms. I know Laffy's always talking about our YouTube overlords, but he's kind of right. We got to, those likes really help us go a long way. And we always appreciate you guys hanging out with us on a Friday afternoon. We've also got some pretty great free tools available for you over on awesomo.com today. We got NBA player projections, we got NHL player projections, and the UFC pros pros plays, say that 10 times fast. And uh, yeah, so definitely check that out over there. Uh, Hit that notification bell too on the video below so that you always know when we're going live. Okay. We've kind of dug into the, into this from a bird's eye view. Let's get go into this game by game. We'll start with the Cincinnati-Tennessee game. As you mentioned, Cincinnati uh, is underdogs here by three, three and a half points, and it's tied for the lowest total game here on the slate. Let's start at the Cincinnati side of the ball. What are you thinking? Are we targeting this passing game, or are we going to Joe Mixon, who kind of had an underwhelming performance against Las Vegas last week? On the context of the two game slate, I think Burrow is
1: the second best quarterback to target. We'll we'll talk about Aaron Rodgers in a little bit, but the alternatives on this slate aren't quite as great as the Sunday slate where we, you know, we have Mahomes staff or Josh Allen and Brady. It's basically just Burrow and Rodgers. And then there's a drop off down to Tannehill and Garoppolo. So I think Burrow is somebody we need to consider just based out of necessity here. And I like that we can stack him pretty easily. You have the elite option and chase, you have T Higgins, whose price has fallen, And historically this season, we've seen the opportunity between them almost identical with a slight edge towards chase. These guys just alternate big games. So to me, that suggests we might just have a buy low situation where we can take T Higgins at a cheap price. But ultimately on a two game slate, I don't really see any reason why you can't stack both of them. As for Mixon, the volume's been there for him all season long. It's just basically been a matter of whether he scores or not. The efficiency has been middling for Mixon. But the volume has been pretty solid. They're only slight underdogs, so it's not a situation where I really see Tennessee getting up by a lot of points and Mixon getting phased out of this game plan. Ultimately, to me, it comes down whether Mixon scores or not. And on this slate, we do have alternatives. So tentatively at the price, I am leaning towards some of the other options we'll talk about in a little bit. But how do you view Cincinnati? I think they're pretty attractive despite having the second lowest implied team
0: total. Yeah, I think there's a bunch of reasons you could say that they're enticing, especially on this two-game slate, right? Because the passing attack is has been very explosive at times this season. You've got two receivers who have 150-plus receiving yards upside in this game. I mean, they've done it over the last five weeks, both of them at least once here. And, you know, as Tennessee tends to play when they're all healthy, they tend to be rush focused which means that even if they are playing from ahead they don't tend to run up the score now anything's possible when you talk about one one football game here but i think this game most likely stays close which means that all of these players are more than viable joe burrow has 18.7 expected fantasy points per game over his last six weeks of starts here and he's six fantasy points over expected per game that's by far the number one uh player in terms of efficiency at uh among the four quarterbacks on this slate so i love cincinnati passing stacks here not afraid of joe mixon I will say that he's not coming into my lineups quite as much right now. The player I'm buying low on, as you said, is T Higgins, both on DraftKings and FanDuel. I have him in over 50% of my current builds of lineups. I think it is a buy low situation. I know Jamar Chase has an equally high ceiling, but I'll take that salary discount with Higgins. I agree with you. I think Higgins is an excellent play. And I
1: do think people might be a little scared away from him right now, just based on recent performance. But again, I think if you go back to the larger sample, what we've seen throughout the year, it's kind of like Tampa Bay when they're fully healthy. Those guys, a lot of times alternate big games. And we always want pieces of this, of this situation. So if you're playing multiple lineups, I think you just take stabs on both Higgins and chase. But if you're playing just one lineup, I do like the salary savings that Higgins offers you. And I'm even interested in Boyd for a lot of the same reasons we mentioned. He's a pretty distant third in terms of targets and opportunity. But even his low out targets and his price are really interesting to me on this slate. I like all of the pass catchers for Cincinnati.
0: Yeah, even CJ Uzoma, as we saw last week, he hit big time last week. They all have expected fantasy points over eight fantasy points per game, meaning that uh, expected volume for the auxiliary weapons in Cincinnati are much higher than your typical auxiliary weapons around the league here. Let's jump over to the Tennessee side of the ball. This is really exciting because they have the lineup on offense that they kind of want they expected to have going into this season and they really never got to see it all meshed together. But here we are in the divisional round. They're the number 1 seed, some might say a weak number 1 seed, but what do we expect the workload for the big dog Derrick Henry coming back from injury here in his first game back? So we,
1: he's been practicing for a while now. Luckily, Tennessee did end up earning the buy. It's probably one of the least talked about situations that's still one of the most impactful is that Derrick Henry got this extra week. They didn't have to force him into action in the wild card round. And this guy's been practicing since the end of the regular season. And I'm sure a lot of you, you follow the Titans on social media. It's been the big story around Tennessee is getting these clips out of Derrick Henry. And I'm, I'm not a doctor. I'm also not on the Tennessee Titans staff. I don't know what a full practice looks like, but it, it sure does look like Derrick Henry's doing a lot out there. I know he's been taking contact in practice. All that's really positive for the workload I think he should see this weekend. And again, they've been saving him for this. They've been gearing him up for this. And maybe it's not 100% the Derrick Henry workload we saw previously. I mean, this guy was getting 30 carries at times, but even 75% of Derrick Henry, what is that? 20 to 22 touches? That's a ridiculous workload, and it should pace this slate At his price... Which is maybe two, $2,500 cheaper than where we saw him at his peak. He's an excellent value.
0: Yeah. And I think he is really platform dependent. And, you know, this is a big, Pet peeve, you know, it's the old the old family guy really grinds my gears situation because I know players are technically a better value site to site, but we're really trying to parse out who's going to play well. And I know we're always good here at Osmo talking about the range of outcomes. Any player on a one game slate can do poorly or do excellently, but Derrick Henry's salary is so drastically different on FanDuel versus DraftKings this week. It really does make a difference. Seventy five hundred on DraftKings makes him one of the most appealing players on the slate. On FanDuel, where it's 9K, you're essentially getting absolutely no salary discount. You really want him to get closer to that 28-29 opportunity games. That we saw before he went down with injury there's some wiggle room here there's some room for error with derrick henry with his DraftKings salary and he's still got a medium projection that rivals his typical game here something like 18 19 points so his odds of getting 30 fantasy points are still really high here i think one of the the uh the flex points here are can derrick henry and aj brown have ceiling games and are you willing to play A.J. Brown? You know, he's it's, it's only a few weeks removed since he had that monster 16 target game, 200 air yard game, 11 catches, 145 receiving yards. Can you play them together or they kind of steal production away from each other, even though the Titans are favored? I think if you do play them together, it's probably a Titans
1: onslaught and you're probably running someone back on Cincinnati on a two game slate. I'm definitely OK with this. And I even think I'm okay with it on a four game slate too. You know, it's not a 12 game main slate where we have plenty of options and the opportunity cost is going to be much greater, just a higher likelihood that some random player outscores them on a smaller slate. You don't have as much of that opportunity cost and you can take on some of this negative correlation. So especially on a two game slate, if this plays beyond the spread and Tennessee wins this game by 10, 14 points, you could easily see both of these guys have a ceiling game. And you mentioned it at the beginning when we first started talking about Tennessee, we have such a small sample of these players all together. That being Julio Jones, AJ Brown, and Derrick Henry, Tannehill's efficiency is monstrous when all three of these guys play. If they're healthy for the whole game, we could see Tennessee route Cincinnati. I don't think that's likely and neither do the bookmakers, but it's certainly in the realm of possibility. And I think it's something worth taking shots on.
0: Yeah, that's, Oh, man, if I could quantify it, what, it's probably a, a 10%, 15% chance, but in those 10% of outcomes, yeah, there is like a Tennessee smash ceiling for them in there. That would be kind of cool to see as well. They'd certainly be the uh, force that to be reckoned with that their seed implies that they are. Talk to me real quick about these auxiliary weapons. We got Julio Jones, arguably the healthiest he's been all season. Other players like Nick Westbrook-Akine, Anthony Berkser, anybody uh, piquing your interest here?
1: Yeah, one last thing on the Tennessee onslaught. One thing you highlighted specifically before the Rams showdown on Monday night is in big tournaments, we want to play for some of this uncertainty and some of these alternative outcomes. And that is one of them. So That's something I'm trying to keep in mind, especially after your great call in Akers last week. So props to you. And that is one of them. But anyway... I think Julio is in play for the auxiliary weapons. He's very cheap comparatively. And I do think he's going to be third in terms of what playmakers they try to get involved in this offense. But if he catches a touchdown at his price, he certainly could be viable on the two game slate. I don't have a ton of interest in like Westbrook Akine. There's just loose enough pricing where I don't necessarily think you need to get there. And if you're finding yourself in that price range, there's other alternatives, Ferkser is a little bit tough for me to get to. Again, we do have some pretty decent tight ends on this slate. And if you're punting, I think I prefer Uzoma and like maybe a Deguara on the other side. The the Titans tight ends are pretty distant for me in terms of where I want to look on this slate.
0: Yeah, they always do something weird in the playoffs, though, where they're like, Derek Henry is throwing to an offensive lineman. So (laughs) I do feel like in the largest of large field tournaments, you can just like Count on the Mike Vrabel getting weird effect a little bit. That's completely narrative-based. Julio Jones is more intriguing on this two-game slate than the four-game slate to me. He does have a projection of head ahead of salary-based expectations, but I kind of want him as a, as a piece of a larger Titans game stack here. Um, I don't necessarily want him as any kind of runoff. Any last thoughts here before we switch over to the other game? I don't think so. I think we hit on it for the most part. Overall, I,
1: I do think this one has the most game stacking appeal just because of the spread is tighter, but there's a lot of great skill position players and certainly ones that I want to be targeting. I think the next game has more uncertainty as far as these skill position players, which we'll, we'll get into.
0: I, I, I see what you're saying, I'm not, I'm not so sure. We'll talk about it in a minute. Uh, I, I wanna remind you guys, we are sponsored by Jock Market today. Thanks again to Jock Market for sponsoring these Friday videos every single week. And they're a really cool platform over there. You gotta check them out because they've turned fantasy sports into a real life stock exchange where you can make money every minute, every second, every hour, where you're buying and selling shares of your favorite players or maybe your least favorite players for real money in real time you can use our exclusive promo code awesemo, A-W-E-S-E-M-O to get up to a 50 dollars bonus on your first deposit you can download the app in the google play store in the app store on uh, and or go to jock market on the web and they have markets for the nfl mlb ega which is st- just starting up the nba going strong i said nfl i think i did And they've got a pre-game IPO to pick up shares of your favorite players. Check out Jock Market today. Use that promo code, Awesomeo. And thanks once again for sponsoring this video. We really appreciate you guys. Uh, Yeah, definitely check out the app today. Okay, hopping over to the San Francisco Green Bay game. More uncertainty, I would say, if only because these two teams know each other well. But I feel like especially with San Francisco we kind of know that they're going to have a big four here and Eli Mitchell, especially like he's going to get plenty of touches in this backfield. Start with the San Francisco, the road team here. What are we doing with this offense on this two game slate? I think Eli
1: Mitchell has the most consistent workload of anybody on San Francisco right now. And there's a couple of reasons for this. One Garoppolo is playing injured and he's been playing injured for multiple weeks. Now at first it was the thumb, I believe uh, on the hand or whatever finger it was, he had some sort of hand injury. But he got banged up in their most recent game too. And one thing we've seen with San Francisco is they've increasingly relied on the run down the stretch. And it wasn't just in their playoff victory too. In week 18, we saw a lot of touches for Eli Mitchell, who hasn't been healthy himself, but that hasn't necessarily mattered. And he's practicing in full. So really no worries with Mitchell overall. But with Garoppolo banged up, I have not only worries about him, but some of these other pass catchers. And Debo is going to work so much as a running back in in the backfield that I don't think he's affected as much as players like Brandon Ayuk and Juwan Jennings could be. I think those players might carry a little more risk than people are actually thinking because not only does San Francisco already lean towards the run, but what does Jimmy Garoppolo look like out there? I have questions.
0: Yeah, man. They are the number one team in our advanced stats tool in our game script adjusted rush rate, meaning they literally are the most run heavy team. It may be a it may be underselling them to call them leaning towards the run. They really (laughs) lean on it. Uh, And especially if there is some sort of tipping point where Jimmy Garoppolo is too injured, they're just going to lean into the rush even more if Trey Lance has to come in. I know this is really, really hard to quantify, but are we near the point where Trey Lance might have to come in here? I mean, it sounds like you're kind of concerned about the injuries piling up for Garoppolo. I, I want to say yes,
1: but they just haven't shown any willingness to do that. Like every, every chance that Trey Lance has had to take over this starting job, it's boom, right back to Garoppolo, no matter what. And I feel like they have rushed Garoppolo back a few times. Like I, his most recent game, I think he was healthy enough, but the game before that, I wasn't even expecting Garoppolo to play. And then he gets in limited practices throughout the week and Shanahan throws him back out there. So at this point, it really seems like he has faith in Garoppolo for whatever that's worth to at least manage the game. Whereas Lance. And I mean, we, we have to think about Lance a little bit, this guy, he didn't play his final season in college. They had one game and he's coming from the FCS level. The guy had something ridiculous, like under 500 career pass attempts in college. And, and he got drafted number three overall And there's a lot of high expectations for him. But at the end of the day, we have to remember, we don't have any real basis for FCS level quarterback play outside of Wentz. And this guy didn't play his final season in college. Like it was going to take some time with Trey Lance. I don't think Shanahan's really eager to get him out there, especially when the lights are brightest against the Green Bay Packers.
0: Yeah. And it's not really the time for super high variance. You're not so much of an underdog on the road at Lambeau Field. That you have to make some sort of high variance move. And I do think that Kyle Shanahan is looking at this simply from uh, we can't turn the ball over that will be our backbreaker here and so Jimmy Garoppolo gives our offense on any given drive right now, a significantly less chance of throwing an interception or having a fumble, not saying it's zero because Garoppolo hasn't been exactly perfect in that regard, but he certainly has been more accurate and less interception prone in his sample size this season. So talk to me about the superstar players, Debo Samuel and George Kittle, because Kittle has been used as a blocker significantly more as this team has leaned on the run, which has included Debo Samuel. So, Does Debo Samuel getting more of his opportunity in the rushing game, lower his ceiling, raise his ceiling, and how does it change your expectations for Kittle in this one game slate, or excuse me, this two game slate? I'll start with Debo first. I do
1: think it changes his bottom line a little bit. We know targets are just, by default, especially in DraftKings, a little more valuable than carries. What I will say with Debo, though, is he's in there on really high value touches. So in the run game, he'll be in there in the red zone. So his scoring expectation isn't necessarily changed. And and we know they're going to feature Debo Samuel, whether it's as a receiver or as a runner. So I'm not concerned with the opportunities for Debo. But one thing we've noticed down the stretch, and you mentioned Kittle blocking a lot. And as a team, that's true. But he actually led the team in routes run last week. It was just he only ran 23 routes because this team ran the ball so much. Right, right. That might might change here if they get down in this game. And and if Kittle is forced into a negative game script alongside Garoppolo, that's where you could see the ceiling coax out of him. But if San Francisco can play their game, he still might lead the team in routes, but 23 routes, that's not going to cut it.
0: Yeah, that's like the third or fourth most routes on the Cincinnati Bengals on a more pass-happy team, or like the LA Rams. Yeah, so, I mean, that lowers the ceiling here, but the player – in Kittle, the talent in Kittle is undeniable. You had three straight games, though they're over 90 yards receiving. I am getting to him a bunch on DraftKings right now. Debo Samuel is the one that kind of scares me a little bit with that high salary tag, especially on this two-gamer. Uh, I do have some of him. I, I mean, I'm really, really not intrigued by players like Jawan Jennings. I did. Uh, there is a little bit of consistency and usage for Brandon Ayuk. Do you have any interest in Brandon Ayuk, who essentially is become like a four to six target guy every single week. I do have a little
1: bit of interest, but honestly in low risk contests, cash formats and most of my lineups, I think I
0: would rather just play Tyler Boyd. How do you feel about that? Yeah. I mean, I like the fact that I you kind of played himself out of the doghouse and now when it's the playoffs, he's not only getting the snap share and route share, but he's actually seeing the targets. But I do think eventually when push comes to shove, you're seeing, you're going to see that usage go to two players George Kittle, and Debo Samuel. Uh, So I think there's a possibility he gets phased out even in a pass-heavier game script than usual for San Francisco. Uh, Guys, before we dig into our final team here, I want to remind you guys, let's get access to all the great Osmo awesome Plus tools and content for every or nearly every DFS sport out there with an Osmo awesome Plus weekly pass for $29.95. This includes full access to the premium content and tools on awesomo.com, including those player projections, ownership projections, top stacks, the lineup builder, and much, much more. Of course, if you're only looking to play NFL DFS, then you can sign up for an Osmo Plus NFL package for as low as three ninety-five dollars weekly. Stop guessing. Start winning. Join Osmo Plus today. Okay, so the home favorite Green Bay Packers, the number one seed, and it is supposed to be frigid cold, frigid Lambeau Field. Uh, next Saturday here, and so what do you think of Aaron Rodgers and Devonte Adams, this dynamic duo here in the passing attack? Love them. I, this is their home field advantage.
1: I don't think the cold is necessarily going to affect them as much. They've been through this many, many times at this point. But overall, I think in the context of the really expensive receivers, it, you kind of said this with Debo Samuel: is I would just rather play Devonte Adams. Devontae Adams is the more consistent target share, the more consistent role, the higher implied team total, the higher pass rate outside of just the leverage you might gain from Debo. It's, it's pretty clear to me. Devontae Adams is the number one. And I think I would rather even play a guy like Jamar Chase than Debo Samuel. So he's pretty distant number three. And there's just not enough superlatives for Devontae Adams. He, he's very clearly the best receiver on this slate. And I think there's the case to be made that he's the best receiver on the four
0: game slate as well. And now is that salary contextualized because of players like Cooper cup having such high salaries or are you saying that you really think that Adams has a chance to compete with cup in terms of ceiling ability this weekend? His volume's better than cups right now. Cup has seven, or excuse me, seven targets in three straight
1: games. Stafford spread the ball a little more recently. We, we know cups just as consistent as Devontae Adams. The, the real differentiating factor between them this year has been LA's extreme pass rate and green Bay. They are a little slower. They do lean a little more towards the run. Devontae Adams has a target share similar to Cooper cups. All these metrics underlying are very, very similar between the two, but if cup is going to see seven targets a game, I I certainly prefer Adams. And I think the real question is where does ownership fall? Because if you do get a low own cup, I would rather go back to cup, assuming maybe the seven target games are just a blip on the radar and we can fall back on the larger sample. But right now I expect Cup to be more owned than Adams. So tentatively, I'm going to go towards the higher team total
0: with Green Bay here and inside with Adams. How, how do you feel about that? Do you think that's crazy? Well, something tells me we're not going to get a low owned Cooper Cup, especially in the year 2022. Yeah, we're not getting it this week. But I don't think that's crazy at all. I think that in terms of optimal lineup percentage versus expected ownership, Devontae Adams looks like a positive leverage play on this slate. And I think, I just don't know the way that the the pass rate for the Rams and the rate of plays is going to shift for that game environment playing against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I do think the volume could be equal. And if that's the case, then I think Cooper Cup could run away with it here. But in terms of percentage chances to score as much or more than Cooper Cup, hands down hands down, the best player for me is Devontae Adams. And then you said, I think that number three player is actually Jamar Chase before Debo Samuel. So uh, that's just a little bit of a breakdown. We only got a couple minutes here, but we really broke down the most important players here. Talk to me about this backfield though. AJ Dillon has certainly earned the right to get more touches here, but Aaron Jones is the most healthy he's been all season. Am I wrong? No,
1: I think you're right. And they've been cautious with Aaron Jones. I think that's something they should definitely do. So I, I like that they held him out. He's a guy that's really been banged up down the stretch. But we know Aaron Jones really gives you that dynamic element in the pass game. And A.J. Dillon can catch himself, but he just can't do quite as much as Jones. He's not going to line up in the slot. He's not going to be utilized around the red zone as a receiver quite as much as Jones. So just having him back is positive. But ultimately, I do expect this to be a split to some degree. And you just can't say that about Tennessee. You can't say that about Cincinnati. So I think you need to bump them down a little bit where I think you might gain the edge is ownership. If we get a really low-owned Aaron Jones, and even A.J. Dillon, for that matter, as bigger favorites in the spot, it's a spot I want to target for the sake of the leverage it might provide.
0: Yeah, uh, I agree there. And I'm actually using ownership as my guide here for this Saturday slate, just because so many people are going to see Devontae Adams and Aaron Rodgers and go to that. Home favorite running backs are players we want to target in general here so i will be just over the field on both jones and dylan let's close this out any thoughts about alan lazard marcus valdez scantling josiah deguara who had a big 62 yard touchdown in the packers last game of the season any anybody appealing for you in this game i think it's a great spot for tournaments and you mentioned some of the players that are
1: coming back. They, they've been really injured in their ancillary pass catchers lately. You could even play like a Randall Cobb who's coming off injured reserve. But L- Lazard has been the player who's kind of played through injury and been a solid producer for this team. So I don't really see them taking Lazard off the field. I think tight end is also interesting. You could maybe play Jaguara on the two-game slate. A lot less interested in the four-game but on the two-gamer, you really just have Kittle and Uzoma, and then you're throwing darts from there. So if Kittle fails, I think you could definitely play one of these ancillary options.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. I, I'm not super intrigued, to be honest, for these players, any of them, but in large field tournaments, when I pack them on to Packers stack, then I'm going to be getting to some of them here. Real quick, because we got to get out of here. Who are your top three players on this slate? Uh, we'll say platform agnostic, just best players in a vacuum. Position agnostic? Position
1: agnostic as well. Okay, number one is Devonte Adams. Number two, I like the leverage that T. Higgins provides. And number three is Derrick Henry for me, just
0: underpriced for the value and the role we're expecting if he's healthy. Man, you took away my little value option in T Higgins. So I will say that I'm getting to a ton of AJ Brown. We didn't talk about him a ton, but I really, really like him against a Cincinnati defense that is the worst defense in schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed of all the defenses that qualified for the playoffs. Okay, guys, that is going to wrap things up for the NFL Strategy Show for this two-game slate. We have got so much more content coming up this Friday. At 1, we've got the Yahoo! NFL Strategy Show with uh, Adam Kaufman and Eric. 2 p.m., the NHL Strategy Show with Cliffy and Harris. 3 p.m., an NFL strategy, tournament strategy show with Greg and Neil. And then at 4.45, the NBA Deeper Dive and Live Before Lock with your usual cast of Laffy, Adam, Greg, and Eric. For Matt Gajeski, Matt underscore Gajeski on Twitter, I'm Matt Savoka at Draftaholic. We will see you guys next time.